I mean, this is this is what we've, we've dreamed of for 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 14 years, and it's here. This this is it. It's here. Yeah. I mean, it's not the final fulfillment of every dream we've ever had, but this you know this is a step on the way, and I mean, we're at it. We're there. We're on the way, and maybe we'll keep going farther from here. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I recently shed my Eat More SK pseudonym, so I'm just Mark Brown now. Uh, it is August the 15th, 2013, in the evening, as we are recording this episode. The Orioles are three games out of the second wildcard position in the American League, and they are five and a half games out of first place in the American League East. They are, uh, they are in third themselves, so they also need to pass the Rays if they want to dream of winning the division. I am joined by, as always, my podcasting partner in crime. She is Stacy Long. Stacy Long Fulcomer. Stacy, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. Um, it's just Fulcomer Stacey these days. Fulcomer, that's right. I, I couldn't remember if you were keeping Long for blogging and, and, or not. But. No, I decided to just jump in the Fulcomer name Stacy It is. Stacy Fulcomer. So anyway, I'm glad that we're doing this. It's been a little while, even though what we'll end up talking about might make us a little heated. I know, I know. So, so Stacy and I actually, by the way, are co-managers of Camden Chat now, so we're like on the same level. Yes, congratulations on your promotion. Thank you for initiating it and letting me ascend to your level. It's, uh, it is exciting. We're excited. Well, you are, you are as, at least as good as me, so I figured that's the way it should be. We are excited to team up to bring you the best Canva chat we possibly can and hopefully we can do a good job of doing that so and and hopefully we can do a better job on Camden chat than the Orioles are doing at baseball lately because so it's it's been a little while since we have been here talking to you so we have missed instantly reacting to a number of moves that ultimately won't matter like for instance what if we were on here and we got worked up about Scott Feldman you know like there's absolutely nothing worth getting worked up about with Scott Feldman other than the fact that now that he's been on the Orioles, he uh, hasn't really pitched all that great. Hey, he wasn't so bad his last time out, no, you know? No, he wasn't. But really, the the most uh, current and topical thing that we both have some rage to get off our chest about, and you probably do as well, because really, who doesn't have some Jim Johnson rage to get off their chest right now? Because seriously, what is up with blowing three consecutive saves twice in the same season? What was up with that Arizona season, uh, series, the bullpen just being awful the whole time, all the time, every time. Uh, it, it, I'm just very sad about it and angry. I'm more sad than angry. I mean, when the game, when it happens in the game, I am angry. Angry. But on today's off day, I am sad because, well, for one thing, it's really, really hurting the Orioles' chances. And But Jim Johnson is not some hired gun that we that it is easy for me to just be like, Get rid of him. Get him off the team. Right. He's ours. Right. It's not like like you know? it's not like Kevin Gregg where he gets signed to this ridiculous contract that was a joke when he got it signed because Kevin Gregg. It's you know Jim Johnson. We've watched his ups and downs, and last year was a big up, and this year is pretty big down. So he leads the major leagues in saves for whatever that's worth, but he also leads the major leagues in blown saves, and it's the blown saves that are killing the Orioles because he has nine, and Think about it. If he had like four less and the Orioles won three of those four games or something, you know, 
they're they're in a wild card spot right now, and they're only like two and a half games back in the division. There was that line in the I think it was the Rob Nyer article about Jim Johnson. It might have been another one. There's been so many about it. it might have been the ESPN one. There's been so many of them written about in the last day or so. Um, where I guess the average blown save for a closer is three, and yeah. if so, if he was just the average, they would be tied for first place yeah. right now, which really upsets me. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, even the great Mariano Rivera has five blown saves this year, but Jim Johnson has four more than that. So if he was at only five, and five would still be like, oh my God, why are you blowing so many saves, Jim Johnson? But there's, you know, that's, uh, he's just, I don't know, like, is he just toast or what is he, is he hurt? It's like, I don't know. I don't he looks know. so sad. I, know. I don't know how they can keep throwing him out there like that. I don't know either. I mean, I understand loyalty, and I think I especially understand loyalty when you have blown a save, or when you've blown a couple saves, but there's some time between them. Yeah. But the way that, and but Johnson this year, even a lot of times when he gets the save, it's more George Sherrill than it is last year's Jim Johnson. Right. You know. He's got a 1.34 whip, which is not good. It's not, not good. So just for instance, okay, so Jim Johnson has the most saves. But here's the the three guys, well, the the four guys behind him in saves. We have Craig Kimbrell of Atlanta has 38 saves, a 0.93 whip. We have Joe Nathan on the Rangers has 36 saves, a 0.86 whip. Uh, Rivera has 35 saves, a 1.20 whip, which is actually like the highest of his career or something like that. Did you know Mariano Rivera started the season with a sub-1 whip in his career? I didn't it was know like zero point nine nine eight, and now it's <laughs> over. That it's over because uh, oh. of this year. Now he can't retire with a sub one win. I know I, that would have been astounding. And then Greg Holland has thirty two saves. Greg Holland of the Royals, and he has a zero point eight nine whip. He's really good. So notice, so there's five the five top saves people in the major leagues. One of them is the all time best closer ever, and then three of the other five or three of the other four have sub one whips and then jim johnson <laughs> yeah he has troubles and he just looks I and mean, a lot of it obviously is he's not making his pitches uh, i don't i don't pretend to know jim johnson's head at all but right. he looks his body language he does not want to be i mean i don't know if he wants to be he looks like he doesn't want to be out there he looks like he's like oh no not again like, he expects this to happen, yeah. and, you know, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. Yeah. If he goes in believing, oh, here we go again, then what's what good is he? Right. He's – whatever it is, it's just – I don't – at this point, I feel like – and this is something Andrew and I would talk about in the podcast in the old days. It's like, well, you don't want to change just for the sake of changing, except sometimes – I mean, you have to. Like, how can you – have the rest of the team, like, you know, going through games thinking, well, man, Jim Johnson's just going to blow it in the ninth inning anyway. Like, I feel like they just got to, I mean, like, I don't know, because it's not like Jim Johnson is going to be or should be, like, the closer for the next five years for the Orioles. It's not like you need to worry about his fragile psyche, you know. If he's, like, completely falling apart, they can non-tender him at the end of the season, and that's that. Also, if you're worried about his frontal psyche, at this point, you, I think it's better to get him out of there. Right, you don't want him to like, be the closer if you think he has a fragile psyche that can't be wounded by demoting him from being the closer. Also, could demoting him make him feel any worse than he already does? Yeah. I don't imagine it could. So I guess the the problem is, well, okay, if Jim Johnson isn't the closer, who is? Because 
Tom, I think Tom Davis on Mass and post game after Wednesday's game was saying, well, maybe Francisco Rodriguez should be the closer. And I'm like, I want zero part of Francisco Rodriguez being the closer. Well, you know, Francisco Rodriguez did not make a very good first impression no, on maybe us. That's maybe first of all, unfair. he beat up his wife and, and whoever. And then we were like, well, we don't really like him as a person, but as long as he pitches well. And then he came in and just started giving up like a billion homers. Right. Um, but, you know, his last several games have been, well, in Arizona, he had some troubles. He got lucky with a long drive at JJ. Yeah. But he has looked pretty good, I want to say, his last five, four or five. And so maybe he just needed to settle into the new job. You know? so, I, so I was I rattling think... off whips of those other relievers. And Francisco Rodriguez has a 1.01 whip on the season. And that's counting his Orioles uh Kind of yeah, that's even with giving up all those. Yeah, that's even it's even with having given up four home runs in his first four games he pitched for the Orioles. I mean, I think that Rodriguez is a vital option. You yeah. know, if if what they're looking for is someone with closing experience, he has tons. Yeah, I don't. I know you said you don't want any part of the closer role, and I and I understand feeling that way. I think it's mostly because of those home runs in his first four. Uh, right, he really did not. He got off to. I remember. Uh, when I texted you, like, what is happening after he gave up those home runs, like the second or third game or whatever, yeah. and you were just like, this trade was terrible from the time that it well, started. Cause, cause, so, cause he had been so good in Milwaukee, but it's like the right. thing with relievers is it can just go. Right. And this is, and, this is you know, the Orioles, the, the fact that last year happened with, like, every reliever except for Kevin Gregg firing on all cylinders was just astounding. And yeah, you have but to I realize think, it just can't happen. I think that he is – I mean, if you're going to make a – name another closer, which is – are are they? I don't know. If you're going to name another closer, he seems to be a logical choice. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, he's given up how many – he gave up four home runs. He's given up four home runs as an Oriole. Right, he had only in, given up two not, in Milwaukee right. total. Right, and if you look at his career, like home runs per nine, it's all under. It's about a half. Yeah, he's had a couple. You know what I mean? So, I really think maybe he's just settling in now, and that was just. Uh, but, I mean, you also could look at Tommy Hunter, although he does go boom. Yep. So he is a little. Uh, he makes some really big pitches and looks really good sometimes, but when he doesn't, you're kind of in trouble. Right. It's like he's he's an all or nothing kind of guy. It seems like. Darren O'Day. The problem is, if you name any of these guys closer, then you don't have them in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Seventh, eighth inning, six things if you need them. And as you know how I feel about closers, yeah. I mean, it's nice if you have one like Mariano Rivera, but we don't. Yeah, there's there there's no Mariano Rivera walking through the door for the Orioles. So like, I you know what drives me crazy when they traded for Francisco Rodriguez? It was like Dan Duquette did his Dan Duquette thing and was talking about. Well, you know, we wanted to get a reliever with playoff experience. It's like every reliever in the bullpen has playoff right. experience. <laughs> they made right. playoffs last year. You can't use that anymore. <laughs> like everyone, every major part of the team has playoff experience. Well, okay, Nick Markakis didn't because he didn't play, but he played on a playoff, a team that made the playoffs. Sadly, Brian Roberts also does not have playoff experience. That well, maybe this year they make it this year, and he's still playing. That would that would make me as happy as anything. Like even if it's just one wild card game and they lose, at least Brian Roberts could play in a playoff game. 
Brian Roberts, he, he deserves a playoff game. Yeah. All those years when we clung to him because he was the only good thing that we had to look at, you know, had to watch play, and now it just he deserves it. He does. He really does. He's coming on a little bit in the uh, the last little bit too, which is good because second base has been terrible for the Orioles. Yeah, he's looked really good the last like week or two. He obviously doesn't have the range he might have once had in the field, but he's he's still got good hands for the ones he gets to. Mm-hmm. And he's in the last 14 days, uh, he's batting 346 with a 387 on base percentage and a 462 slugging percentage. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, even if you go back to his last four weeks, his OPS is just about 700, yeah. which is not fantastic, but for the second base for the Orioles. Yeah, that's like 100 more than the, the, what the second base was performing. So, you know, that's a, that's a helpful thing. So, yeah, that's, that's Brian Roberts uh, showing off his University of North Carolina Chapel Hill pedigree, uh, I guess, in, in his old age. Old for baseball player age. So, you know, what are you going to do? He's good. He's doing well. I mean, he's not like, you know, star, but he's better than no. better than Alexi Casilla and Ryan Flaherty uh, at this time. Hey, Brian has gotten his on-base percentage up above 300. Which is better than, for instance, Matt Wieters can say, mm-hmm. which makes me sad uh, in and of itself. Yeah. Wieters... I feel like the last time we pod met for a podcast, we talked about how Weakers made us sad, and he hasn't gotten any better. No. His, uh, he has a 703 OPS, 233 batting average, 292 on-base percentage, 412 slugging percentage. That would be his... Oh, that wouldn't be his career low. He His second year, he had a 695 OPS, but it would be the lowest on-base percentage of his career by 27 points. Oh, my gosh. But he's 27 this year. Isn't that the magic age? Yeah, it's it's uh, he turned 27 on May the 21st, so it's his age 27 season, and he's just never gotten better the way that we hoped he would. His his career year, such as it is, was when he was 25 and he batted 262 with a 328 on base and a 450 slugging percentage. And now it's like, he's... man, what can can he get back to that? He's like Nick Marcakis. Yeah, not quite as much as Nick Marcakis because his his best wasn't like wow better than now, you know. Yeah. But he's just he's never been what we wanted him to be. Although he has uh, stolen six straight bases without getting caught, dating back to 2011. So he's got that going for him. That's a really good streak. I know. So, I mean, there's plenty to like about Matt Wieters. He's thrown out 37% of base dealers this year, and I feel like there's at least three plays where the runner was actually out and the umpire blew the call. So it's really higher than what the number shows on the stat sheet as far as that goes. Um, but what is happening with his bat? I just don't understand. Like, does he get dinged up playing catcher, and that's why he can't hit as well? Or just was the bat of Matt Wieters never what we thought it was going to be? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I will ponder it for a long time because he really should be better than this. He should be. He should be better. And you know what? It's it's one of those things that it's like what might have been that drives you crazy. It's like the next year after the Orioles drafted Matt Wieters, it was like, well, Buster Posey was the big catcher guy. 
And the Orioles picked where they could have picked Buster Posey, but it was like, well, why would they pick Buster Posey? Because they've already got Matt Wieters. And so they picked Brian Mattis, and it was like, no, Brian Mattis, polished, four-pitch pitcher. He's going to be rushing up to the big leagues, and he'll be great. Mm-hmm. Brian Mattis is now the left-handed reliever in the bullpen. And he's not even that good at it. Buster Posey won the Rookie of the Year award when he was 23 years old and won the MVP award when he was 25 years old. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of those things that's easy to look back on. But like you said, back when it happened, I don't remember people who were unhappy about drafting Mattis. Right, it, it was like, it was going to be Mattis or Justin Smoke. Smoke. That's the thing. So Nobody was like, oh, Buster Posey, so, because of Matt Meters. Yeah, so it's hard. She's like, talk about counting your chickens. Yeah, but Buster Posey was the next draft pick after Matt Weider. So it's 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 not quite as pronounced as, say, Billy Rao being drafted right before Tim Lincecum. But it... it it actually is. So, yeah. I mean, at least Brian Mattis has made the big leagues, I guess. But, gosh, Buster Posey. He'd, he'd, he would still be in orange and black. He would just be on a different coast. So, anyway, Matt Weeders, we, we will always lament what might have been, I think. And uh, a little earlier in the season, I wrote about, well, what's Matt Weeders' future going to be with the Orioles? Because at one time, we were very depressed about, well, he he'll become a free agent and then... He'll just, like, sign with the Red Sox or something. But now it's like, I mean, whatever he signs for, it's going to be more than he's worth, probably. So maybe just, well, offer him qualifying offer, and he'll decline it because Scott Boris, and then take the draft pick. Which would be after the 2015 season, mind you. So we've yeah, got, so we've got plenty two of full time. seasons of Matt Weeders still to come. Never fear, Matt Weeders lovers. But uh, it's... It's not as depressing of a prospect as uh, that once was to imagine. You know, when when we were like agonizing over, oh my God, how can they call him up and you know waste a year of Matt Weeders when then he'll be a free agent sooner? And that's just it's not as depressing of a of a thought. Let me tell you, it feels like, and obviously it's because the Orioles have had trouble developing players. But it feels like every time there has been any hand wringing about a player getting a year earlier free agency, that player ends up not being worth it anyway. Exactly. Do you remember Zach Britton? Like we. That was one of the one of the first things Andrew and I ever talked about on this podcast was when Zach Britton got called up just like on the second day of the 2011 season or whatever it was like it's like oh man Zach Britton we got to get that seventh year well now it's like who cares about seven years of Zach Britton well right so after Zach Britton and after Matt Weeders and whoever else I have taken on a totally ambivalent attitude about the final year of free agency or before free agency, because whatever, you know, my husband has a way, has a thing that he says when someone says something about it, about anything that, you know, he might have to worry about. And he goes, that's a problem for future Paul. And I think that my attitude is that's a problem for the future Orioles or future Stacey. Right now it's about being the best team you can be and stop worrying about things that probably won't end up mattering anyway. That's a very good way of looking at it because, and and this is the kind of hand wringing we got um, last year with Manny Machado getting called up, and it's like, oh my God, how can they start? Blah blah blah, you know. Well, that worked out pretty well for the Orioles because Manny Machado was part of what boosted them into the playoffs for the first time in my adult life. Like, I mean, I, they wouldn't have made the playoffs without Manny Machado. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, and you know, this is another instance where I wonder if that kind of I mean, I know we've heard about it with other players and, or other teams, but for the fans to be so worried about it, is that another 
sign of rooting for a bad team. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think it probably is because I've only ever rooted for bad teams until until last year. Yeah. Um, but now, when your team has a chance to be good, who gives a crap about seven years? You gotta win now? this year because the next year, who knows what's gonna happen? Like we see. I mean, this year they were great last year, and we come into this year and they're still pretty good. But like, imagine if they just had like one more good piece in last year with the bullpen they had last year and everything they had last year. Like what if, what if second base was not a disaster the whole season last year? Like, I don't know. Like what if you plugged in like Robinson Cano at at second base last year for the Orioles, like world series pretty much. Right. I mean, they would have run away with the division. Well, maybe not run away with, but they probably would have won the division. If you plug in someone like even like an average second base, instead of having like Robert Andino and Ryan Flaherty out there, you know, like just, the the one piece, if the one piece makes a difference this year, you know, do it. Especially if it's just the concern is like one year of free agency or not. Like if it's a little more murky if it's like you're making a trade that's just for this. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, right. trading Nick Delmonico for Francisco Rodriguez. Right. Or trading uh, like mm-hmm. LJ Hose and Josh Hader to get Bud Norris. Right. Although at least they get two more years of Bud Norris. Right. I'm still I mean, I'm still not convinced that two more years of Bud Norris is actually a <laughs> selling point of that trade. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think and I think a good example, you know, last year when they called up Manny, um, and there was all that hand wringing about free agency and ruining him and yeah. the future and all that. The, the they haven't had now. a chance to really do that. But this year when they called up Kevin Gossman, there was some kind of, is he ready yeah. talk, yeah. but there was no free agency in seven years. And I think that's because we prefer a good team now, Yeah, you know? And so obviously Gossman didn't work out and he went back down and hopefully it won't ruin him for life the way people some might think it would. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that was a chance that, you know, was worth taking. And yeah, it was just, just funny that this time around, but you didn't hear many peeps about free agency in a few years. No, it was not. It was not about oh, we can't lose the extra year of Kevin Gossman. And I, I think another reason for that now is uh, unless you're counting Scott Boris clients, I mean, more players are extending than like ever. Mm-hmm. It's like every year, it's like, well, who's a free agent? Nobody, because for the most part, guys want to stay with their teams. People just, you know, that maybe they prefer staying with one team than all the uncertainty of free agency and where will they live and you know. All that. Yes. So. It does seem like lately the free agent class is underwhelming because you either have guys that are old or guys that aren't that who are aren't that good and are maybe kind of wild cards. So it's tough to go out on the free agent market these days and be like and get that star. Right. It's exactly right. There's there there's not really the star and the stars tend to be over thirty already. So it's like you're gonna give you know, you're gonna get the, the Josh Hamilton contract or the Albert Pujols contract. It's like, well, you know, you don't want to be stuck holding that potato, really. You know, imagine, you know I wouldn't, well, I wasn't like a proponent of him, but if, if for some reason the Orioles had signed Josh Hamilton in the offseason, I probably would have been happy about it, even though I wasn't like a person who wanted them to sign Josh Hamilton. I would have been like, oh, good, Josh Hamilton. I know. I mean, he's just, he's just terrible. And how... He's been so bad this year. Like, early, it, he's not quite as bad as he was earlier in the year, but. When the Orioles played the Angels earlier in the year, I was doing a uh, a little 
thing that I was tweeting about that was players with a higher batting average. Or players Josh Hamilton has a higher batting average than on the Orioles and on base percentage and on slugging percentage. And it turned out that the, those games, the only player he was ahead of in all those categories was Ryan Flaherty. Every other person on the Orioles had a higher average on base percentage and slugging percentage than Josh Hamilton. Now that's no longer the case. He has raised his slugging uh, going into today to uh, going into Thursday's game to 409, which has passed the likes of Nick Markakis, who is essentially not slugging. So now what? He's slugging the same as Nate McLeod. So he is. Josh Hamilton is slugging the same as Nate McLeod, and Nate McLeod has significantly more average and on base than, than Josh Hamilton. And Nate McLeod is making $2 million, and Josh Hamilton is making... Uh, 17, $17 million, which is going to be $32 million in 2016 and 2017. Holy crap, That's are you 30, kidding me? That is backloaded, man. $17 this year, $17 million next year, $25 million in 2015, $32 million in 2016 and 2017. Oh, man, the Angels are so stupid. What are they doing right there? Like, what are you doing, Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, California, United States of America, Earth? Like, what are you doing? What is that? He will be 35 and 36 years old in the final two years of that contract and will make a combined $64 million. I mean, I knew he got signed to a huge deal. I didn't really realize he's going to be making over $30 million. I did not realize it was that backloaded until I just looked at it right there. But, yeah, so that goes to the point. It's it's tougher to find guys in free agency because you're always going to have even players that, I think they're kind of old, but if they're good, even if they're good, they're going to have teams like the Angels who are dumb. Yeah. And who will sign them to five billion dollar contracts? And so, it just makes Matt Weaver's yeah. even makes me even more sad that he hasn't tried. Like even this year, the best possible free agent, and it doesn't look like he's going to extend with the Yankees, Robinson Cano. He will be thirty-one when next. Season right, starts. and someone's going to give him ten years, probably. Someone, I imagine he will get at least seven. He might even get ten. I don't know, but you know, how much do you want? Like, like what? How many good years of him are you going to get versus? How many not? And right. it, doesn't, only... it doesn't look like he started to fall apart yet. But when I mean, when he does, it could just be abrupt, and then you're stuck like holding the bag on like four bad years, or maybe even more. He is a second baseman. Yeah. They do seem to fall apart. Yeah. I just, you know, maybe that would only be worth it if like I could, if it resulted in a World Series. Like, right. Like, what if the Orioles like, you know signed Robinson Cano and won the World Series next year? And then he was terrible for the next six years? I would be fine with that. I, cause I would be fine with it, but I'd be like, well, you know, flags fly forever. Flags fly forever. And, and as I have frequently mentioned on this podcast and to anyone I talk to, and they're probably sick about it, the Orioles have not won in my lifetime. Because I was born a month after they won in 1983. So That's, that's what you get for being so young. So, so you know... The, the, Orioles price, have been to World Series in my the price to pay to roll the dice to get into the playoffs where they might make it to the World Series is it's worth paying so, to some extent. Yeah. And no matter what you do, it's a gamble. It is. You know? And if it turns out, then it turns out. And if it doesn't turn out, then you might be crippled. Like, there's gambles so that are probably stupid, like the James Shields trade for the Royals. <gasps> Although the Royals are only six games out of right. the wild. The Royals are not, the Royals are not as bad. They are only two and a half games behind the Orioles, so yeah, they're they're five and a half games out of the second spot. So I mean, they're not totally out of it either. If they get on a good run, well, I mean, they've been on a good run, but if they continue their good run, you know, they'll be they'll be ahead of the Orioles in two weeks. The Orioles don't do a good run like the Royals. 
They just don't have it in their what for whatever reason. They just can't do stringing together wins. They might. They have they have up to this point just not been able to do that, and like they just can't. I don't know why. One reason why might be the starting rotation problems that they've had, because there's just been no real consistency in the rotation. And we kind of hope now that Wei and Chen is back, that will improve a little bit. And Jason Hamill has hit the disabled list with whatever thing was probably, I don't know, maybe whatever was wrong with him had been ailing him all year, and that's why he was bad. Well, that's what that's what the report was that had been bothering him on and off for most of the season, and whether that's true or not, part of me hopes it is true, just because it would explain something a little bit. Like, why didn't they come sooner if he really was hurting? I guess maybe he didn't tell them he was until it was like, you know, like I don't know, like what if they went to Jason Hamill and they were like, all right, Jason, look, we're going to DFA you unless you've got an injury for us. So uh, what do you got? Or, you know, maybe he was hurt and he downplayed it, which I'm sure they always do. Yeah. And because the Orioles didn't really have anyone else, they were like, well, okay then. But right. then as soon as they got Feldman and Norris and whatever, then they had people who could pitch. Right. And they were able to, you know, take it more, you know, take it a little bit more seriously. Like, say what we will about Jason Hamill. He averaged over six innings a start. So he might have had a bad ERA, but he did save the bullpen on the whole. Uh, on average, like if if you're averaging six innings, you know, well, no, that's not like Cy Young territory, but it could be worse, like Freddie Garcia worse, or you know, uh, Brian Mattis is a starter worse, kind of stuff. Jake Arrieta worse, for instance. So you know that was Hamill, but so so you know now you can imagine sort of maybe a good rotation with like Gonzalez, Tillman, Chen, maybe Bud Norris a little bit. I don't know. I, I Like I said, I still haven't made up my mind about Bud Norris. I have not necessarily made up my mind about Bud Norris, but I think that so far, you know, he's not, well, no one ever accused Bud Norris of being a great major league pitcher. Right. But so far, he's not been fantastic, but he has been pretty good. You know, he's been uh, serviceable yeah. for, like, a fourth starter. Yeah. And I think and he's, given, he's kept the Orioles in the game. And... Concerning the alternatives, I don't know what else they could have done. Right. So in that sense, it's it's good. So think about this. The Orioles have a 4.59 ERA in their rotation. That's just all starts combined 4.59 ERA. So if so, if you if you despair of Bud Norris, Bud Norris's ERA this season is 3.83, which is again you're not winning the Cy Young with a 3.83 ERA. But if the Orioles' starting rotation had Bud Norris's ERA. I mean, again, you're talking a team that's first place in the American League East, probably, because if you're shaving off, like, seven-tenths of an ERA point, and they've played, you know, 120 games, you're talking a significant number of runs that were not given up. And, you know, he's averaging a good number of innings per start, so it's not like, you know, he's going five innings every time, so... You know, the bullpen would have been saved more than they had been to some extent. So, I mean, you know, Bud Norris is not dazzling, but Bud Norris is an improvement over what has been in the rotation at this point. So I guess the big question mark with Bud Norris is you look at his ERA this year on the road is 533. So what is he going to do now that Camden Yards is his home? 
That's the biggest. He'll probably not be as good as he was in Houston. That's probably the biggest question with Bud Norris. So he's probably like he had a 2.92 ERA at home, and that probably counts the one start he made at Camden Yards, um, also. But yeah, you know, I was reading an article today by Grant Frisbee. Um, the I don't know if you read it, but it was like the Jeremy Guthrie Awards for pitchers who have uh, surprising velocity. I did not read that. I, I probably should have one. because Grant Brisby is probably my favorite uh, SB Nation. Yeah, well, you, when we're finished, you should check it out. But he, um, Bud Norris was on there for having surprising velocity, but so was Tommy Hunter. Mm-hmm. And in the course of his his writing, he said that, and I had this is the first word from me. I don't know where uh, Grant got this knowledge or where he heard this but he said that he heard that um next season when when you know maybe Gossman is is up or they have their rotations a little bit then Bud Norris the Orioles look at him as a possible future Tommy Hunter in the bullpen I have seen which that, means I have seen that mentioned and the reason for that is because Bud Norris versus lefties this season 296 average 367 on base 498 slugging Mm-hmm. Not so good. Okay, well, he's, but yes. he's given up 13 home runs, and 12 of them were lefties. Yeah, that's not good. No. Well, so maybe that's why. But I had never actually – I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, I guess. But I had never actually seen it written down anywhere. Yeah. And they were saying how – but they were talking – he was talking about how, you know, Tommy Hunter's velocity went from whatever it was as a starter to almost 100 as a reliever. Like, his average is 95, and he hits 98, like, regularly. Mm. Um. His average is like 95.7 or something. Right. And if Bud Norris can go to the bullpen and bump up his velocity a little bit more, then he could be a very successful bullpen guy like Tommy Hunter if the Orioles got their rotational woes, you know, kind of ironed out if yep. Kevin Gossman comes up and, and is what we think he could be. Yep. And I think that that would probably be a good move for the Orioles, and maybe that's why they don't mind having him for two more years. Because if you think it. about it, if we want to dream a little bit about next year's rotation, if Kevin Gossman – can can come up and and be good enough to stay. Then you've got Gonzalez, Tillman, Chen, Gossman. That's four guys. Fifth guy, whatever. Just sign a random cheap free agent. Sign five random cheap free agents and see which one sticks. I don't care. You know that that's not a terrible next year rotation, maybe. Um. So, but I mean, really, think about it. how much did we hate Tommy Hunter as a starter? Really, we hated. Yep. Like, and right now, I like him as much as I as I disliked him before. Like, who is it on Camden Chat? Steve Dot had the Tommy Hunter sucks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he was bad. He was so bad as a starter for the Orioles. Just giving up all the home runs all the time. It was it was so bad. And now, suddenly, throw him in the bullpen. He's throwing 98 miles an hour. He's, you know, striking more guys out. He's He still gives up some home runs, but, I mean, right. he's he's doing pretty well. He certainly has his flaws, but they are much harder to pick up on when you're in the bullpen. Yeah. So he he I have you know no complaints about him in the bullpen. He really this year has been kind of a savior in the bullpen a little bit because everyone else has been worse. Yep. Than they were last year. Yep. And Tommy, I mean, he has a whip under one ERA plus of one fifty three. That's you know pretty good. Yeah, he has a 0.93 whip. So, I mean, to some extent, saying he has a 2.76 ERA, he's unlucky with a 0.93 whip. And his home run rate is actually lower than O'Day's or Patton's this year. That's his home run rate. Yeah, so that's not too shabby for. And he, 
for, touch- for someone who named himself Tommy Goes Boom. Yeah, for Touchdown Tommy Hunter, uh, or whatever we want to call him. So, I mean, you know, if they could turn Bud Norris, because maybe Bud Norris gets three, four more miles an hour on his fastball if he only has to go one to two innings at a time. And Hey, you know, it could and, Yeah, and unlike Tommy Hunter, Bud Norris has not yet proven that he absolutely cannot be a starting pitcher. Right. So there's still kind of, you know, you have him around for two more years as a possible back, you know, number five starter. And if that doesn't work out, then he could possibly be another Tommy Hunter in the bullpen. And I don't right. think there's anything wrong with that. No. There's there's plenty of possible upside still to that deal, much as we'll miss uh, the local kids that were traded. Although I think more people will miss LJ Hose because of getting to make Hose jokes all uh, all the time and have that not be seen as socially unacceptable. I know. I told the uh, Crawfish Boxes, which is our sister Astro's blog on SB Nation, I told... Uh, the guy who writes for them, that I was really sad because I was looking forward to doing my hose jersey whenever um, he made it big. Yeah. That was funny. Yeah. But, so maybe we'll get to see the hose jerseys down in Houston. Yeah, maybe we will. That will be that will be okay. And then, of course, Josh Hader was also from Maryland, from from your, your high school, as I, mm-hmm. as I recall, mm-hmm. that also produced Rock uh, Kubatko. Oh, yes, we have a lot of distinguished alumni. So, I mean, that was a, that was a little, little bummed, but... Yeah. Maybe Bud Norris will make us uh, not miss those guys, or maybe those guys will turn into not anything that makes us miss them because prospects don't always turn into what you think they're going to be. Especially when they're Orioles. Especially when they're Orioles, because seriously, yeah. Which is, you know, it, it just, yeah. Although the Orioles farm system right now is pretty sad looking. Yes. Especially when you consider Dylan Bundy's Tommy John surgery. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, who knows? You know, maybe you're... Your other North Carolina product, Hunter Harvey, no relation to Matt Harvey, can come and do something someday. But then it's like what? I mean, Jonathan Scope is probably the closest to the big leagues out of position players, and who really knows what's going to happen with him? And then you look beyond him, and it's like there's like nobody in Double A worth talking about. Yeah, at all. don't look beyond him; it'll make you sad. Yeah, there's like nobody in Triple A worth talking about at all, other than as end of the bench filler. So you know, there's some work to be done. I mean, luckily, it appears that aside from second base, which happens to be what Jonathan Scope plays, that the you know the Orioles lineup is not bad. Yeah. And none of them are free agents at the end of this year. Yeah. Are they? No. Uh, right. And We're so, not counting second base. Nobody, I believe. Right. Well, I don't count second well, base. Nate McLeod. Oh yeah, he's under one year deal. Yeah. Okay, so Nate McLeod. And but I mean, even Marcakis, who has been very disappointing. In the in the broader you know lineup sense, there's enough guys who you would he disappoints me so much. But you, I try and put a silver lining on it. You know he doesn't hit for power at all, but he does still get on base at a decent rate. Not fantastic, but decent. Yeah. And a lot of the Orioles that have power don't do that. Yeah. So it, it's kind of it kind of works out in the broad sense, even though he's getting paid fifteen million dollars a year and. So I think the farm system is is empty, but at least for the most part, you know, the guys in the big leagues aren't, they're not old and they're not going anywhere for the most part, other than Brian Roberts, who's old and Nate McLeod, who might be going somewhere. Yeah, and I have a feeling if Brian Roberts has any game at all, he probably will end up signing like a one-year deal and be like the bench utility guy, veteran clubhouse guy or something. Mm-hmm. I could I could see that happening, and if it was for 
a low amount of money, I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate that. I mean, even though Brian Roberts is just a shell of what he used to be, of course, and he's been hurt for so long, I don't want him to play for another team. Right. Like, I mean, like, what if it was like, okay, hey, Brian, you want to get like a million and a half dollars and you'll be our utility infielder? You know, hey, I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate that. No. He's he's shown that even though his power is 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 a little he never had a ton of power his power is down, but he still um can work count. He still you know ever since as soon as he got back I was like oh this was like to watch a guy who doesn't swing at every pitch. Right, like he he'll just fire off he's like ten pitch at bats or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's worth a lot. That's worth something. That's worth more than you know. That's another kind of dimension that the Orioles don't really have right. a lot with a lot of players. There's like no emphasis at all on that kind of uh, thing for the Orioles. They just kind of don't do it. It's, uh, yeah, it's annoying. Mm-hmm. Brian Roberts has that skill. Although, it's hard to say what he's got left in the tank, but I don't know. Just looking forward at that, I don't hate that concept if it's for like a low amount of money. But then they still have to find a second baseman. Yeah, they still have to find a second baseman because I don't, I mean, I, I mean, it might end up being Ryan Flaherty. Right. And then there's going to have to be a left fielder, and I don't know who that's. Well, I would be. hope that I would hope that um, McLeod would be interested in signing another. Yeah, but now that he's had like two good years in a row, what if he's going to want like three years from somebody? And you know, I don't think well, necessarily that case, that's sorry, the right. McLeod. Yeah, I don't. Right. In that case, I don't think that's the best way to go about I mean, things. Oh, see, 30, 31. Yeah. So. I mean, I would a one or two, even a two-year deal for McLeod that wasn't, that didn't tie up so much money that then the Orioles had to be like, oh, we're out of money. Yeah. You know, I would be okay with like, that. Like, think maybe think, like two years, sixteen million for McLeod. That seems kind of high to me. It does. Maybe. He's making what one million this year? Two million. Two million. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't give him more than ten million for two years. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, mean, I don't. I don't know what he might be worth. I don't know what he's worth in the in the mar, in the market, but yeah. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's good, but come on. Well, you know, and another thing to factor in is every team is going to have twenty five million dollars more coming in from the national oh, TV money true. starting, I believe, next year. For next year's payroll, there will be every team will have that much more available. So uh, now, yeah. not necessarily all of that is going to get plowed into payroll, but. I feel like most of it can or should. Of course, that gets into the whole, well, is Peter Angelo spending as much as he could? And before the trade deadline, it was like, well, the Orioles don't have any more money. And then it was like two days before the deadline, it was like, no, the Orioles can add money after all. It's like, what's what's that about? What's the real story? I don't know. We're not, we're not, ever gonna know. We're not the kind of people in position to find that kind of thing out. I don't know if that disappoints anyone out there. I'm sorry to say, deep throat is not the Orioles' deep throat is not meeting any of us, um, like in underneath the overpass in the B lot or anything like that. Like after the game's over, it's just, uh, you know, Stacy and I don't know anybody. No, we have no sources. No, we know each other. Yes, and we like each other. Yeah, which is. But we don't have any inside information. We do not know any uh, anything inside anything about anything. So. I don't know. But, you know, even the people who do have inside stuff don't report on, like, how much money the Orioles have, so... Right, nobody seems to really know that. Yeah. Like, there are certain numbers that come out, but nothing is the full picture. Which is, you know, if you think about it, who, you know, 
like I like Brittany Giroli, but she's not going to write about the Orioles' money. Like if Angelos isn't spending money, the, the you know the MLB.com person is not going to write a story about that, and Masson right. people are not going to write that story. Right. And and really, like I said, Baltimore no Sun one, guys are too busy to write that story. No one really knows. Yeah. No matter what Jonah Carey says, he doesn't know either. Right. I don't. I and. and you know, earlier this year, I wrote a thing about that. Well, how much money do the Orioles have? I, I don't believe that anyone who is dumping on Peter Angelos constantly really knows how much no. the Orioles have. And I think that the article that you wrote was probably the most thorough thing that I've read that is based on kind of public resources. And even that gives a little bit of a picture, but not enough to, to really have a clear view. So it's just the kind of thing that pe- people who don't like Peter Angelos, and I mean, obviously... Are there people who love Peter Angelos? Well, the people who really, really hate Peter Angelos are always going to think that he's cheap. Well, I would guess some of the people that uh, won some of that asbestos lawsuit money probably like Peter Angelos. Oh, yes. that's <laughs> Well, that's not what I meant. Anyway. I know what you meant. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think that there's always going to be people who are going to accuse him of the worst. And I really don't know how much of it is true. And neither do you, and neither does anyone. Right. It's it's just not a, on the list of things to get worked up about with the Orioles. I don't I don't know that that's it's not even on my like, radar. Let's just get some good players on the field. And you know what? For the most part, all of these deals over the last few off seasons, where it was like, oh my God, why aren't the Orioles on Albert Pujols? Why aren't the Orioles on, you know, on Mark Teixeira? Why aren't the Orioles on whoever? You know, well, you don't want to be in that level of the market anyway. Right. And you know, even the people who were on um, him for being cheap. Because he, they didn't re-sign Mark Reynolds. Well, how did that turn out? Right, Mark Reynolds designated for assignment because he had like a, you know, awful year this year. Like, you know, they didn't, you didn't want Mark Reynolds coming back on what was that, a ten million dollar option, twelve million dollar option, something like that. Some, yeah, I think it was, a, it was about there. But even if they could have signed him, even if they could have matched, even if they had wanted to match the Indians' offer, my guess is that Reynolds would have come here for that money yeah but you know what at the time we were kind of like oh well i don't know time will tell if he's worth it well time is told yeah the indians paid mark reynolds six million dollars and well um and he had a 680 on base i'm sorry 680 ops 215 average 307 on base 373 slugging percentage so it's like there's you know all, all he does is strike out really there I mean, this this year was just terrible for him, and the Indians basically threw that money in the trash. And so I think Mark Reynolds is – every GM makes mistakes. Yeah. Every owner makes mistakes. But I think that when people are so quick to jump on Peter Angelos for being awful and stingy and terrible – well, maybe you should remember Mark Reynolds and that there are people running this team that are smarter than you. I don't mean to say that in a kind of a good – I really – one of my, my pet peeves is people who like us who write about the team who kind of tell people how to be fans. We really, really, we really always try and avoid that. I, right, I but I do – pet peeve for both of us. But I do think – I'm not telling people how to be fans, but I do think that sometimes it's good to remember that – even the worst GM in baseball is better at it than we are. And managers, too. And managers, and you know what I mean? And so I think that it's just uh, Reynolds is a good, you know, kind of a good reminder of that. Because I would have liked to have had Reynolds back. I probably would have given him $6 million. Mark Reynolds, now a New York Yankee, supposedly. 
You know, that's the word on the street. They signed so, him to it. you know, he'll probably, like, platoon with Lyle Overbay up there. Well, I heard that they, uh, MLB trade rumors said that they plan on using him occasionally at third base to spell Alex Rodriguez, which just made me laugh. Because, come on, third base? Mark Reynolds was so bad at third base, and... It's it's almost like it's almost hard to even remember now that we've seen so much of Manny Machado, like a, a full calendar year of Manny Machado at third base. Like, like I remember a time where it was like, yeah, it was just last year. Mark Reynolds and Wilson mm-hmm. Bedemit playing third mm-hmm. base. We are not well, so know, far removed from those days. Those were dark days. Not when so the far Indians removed. played. When the Indians played the Orioles earlier this season, Mark Reynolds played one or two of those games at third base. And just watching him, I was like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe that. First of all, I couldn't believe that the Indians were playing him. I think they must have had an injury. The Indians were playing him at third base. But secondly, I couldn't believe that that's what we watched yeah. for as long as we did. So so here, let's talk about Manny Machado for a second because he's awesome. Like, he stopped doubling at the record pace, and it's like, oh, okay, he's slumping at the plate. But seriously, Manny Machado has the high... Like, if, you, if you're talking about fielding measures, you got UZR, ultimate zone rating. Manny Machado has saved the most runs in baseball, uh, according to ultimate zone rating. He has a 21.3 to the positive UZR, and that's more than any other player in Major League Baseball. He is so much better than the average third baseman that he is worth 21 runs more. And if you go by defensive run save, which is, of course, our, our old our friend Andrew Gibson's now working for the Pirates' favorite, he liked defensive run save, and that's, of course, because that's where you get that's a minus from, because if you don't make a play, it's a minus. If you make a play, it's a plus. It's just how much of a minus, how much of a plus. So Machado is worth plus 26 runs. Uh, in DRS, defensive run save, which is best in the American League and second best in the major leagues because then you've got Andrelton Simmons, the shortstop on Atlanta, who's a plus 34, which is actually stupid how yeah. good that is. But so, so, there, so the next best in the American League is a plus 16, Shane Victorino and Lorenzo Cain in the, in the American League. And the next best American League infielder is Dustin Pedroia with plus 14. So Manny Machado is a dozen run a dozen run DRS runs saved better than the next infielder, and he is uh, he is 16 DRS runs saved better than the next best third baseman in the American League, which is Evan Longoria. So there's really just no way that Manny Machado is not the best fielding third baseman in the American League, and if he played shortstop, he'd probably be the best of that too. All right. Luckily. J.J. Hardy's no slouch over there. J.J. Hardy is no slouch. Like, I mean, just think, just having them on the left side of the infield is phenomenal. It's it's an under it's an underrated thing to appreciate about the Orioles this year because, you know, they're just they're so good. You kind of take it for granted sometimes. Like, I don't know if you're like this, Stacy, but I just think any ball that goes towards third base, Machado's going to get a glove on it mm-hmm. and throw somebody out. Like, and he does. Like, so many of them, he does. That it's almost like disappointing when he doesn't. Right. It's funny. I remember that I used to cringe whenever the ball was at the third base. I mean, I would, you know, late in the game, if there was a ground ball to the third base, I would cringe visibly. They had no. Because it was Mark Reynolds. If it was Reynolds, he had like no range. And if it was Wilson Bedemite, he could 
have no range and throw it anywhere. Such a mess. Such a mess. But Manny Machado, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing watching him. We're very lucky. Like we, we are just really lucky to get a player like that. And and I, I wrote this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago. It's like, as good as we wanted Matt Weeders to be, Manny Machado actually is. Because yeah. it's just like, you know, whatever whatever he ends up being at the plate, and hopefully he stays at least as good as he's been this year at the plate for his career. And you know, hopefully he gets even better, actually, as kind of he gets more more power. Maybe it maybe really with him it really will be some of the doubles will turn into home runs, which kind of never happened with Nick Markakis, and then he kind of stopped hitting doubles. But I mean, oh. even if he's just uh, just a 775 OPS for his career, and he plays the kind of defense he's playing. That's that's a really valuable player. Yeah, and you know, he, he's Matt. You know, he's what we thought Matt Weeders would be, but he's also better than I thought he would be. Yeah. Which at least for this year. Yeah. Because you know, it's his second year. He just turned twenty-one like a month ago. Yeah. And he's so good. He is so good. It is just like you. It's easy to take it for granted, and you watch like. Like no other, like I mean he's the best. No other team's third baseman that we've played. I, I, well, actually, so um, if you're counting all third basemen, we've got Nolan Arenado of the Colorado Rockies. So I guess we'll be about to see this weekend is also a, a plus twenty six on DRS. So maybe he's if you, if you believe DRS, he's as good as Machado. So we'll have to judge that for ourselves this weekend. But every other team the Orioles have played this year, it's been unqualified. Whoever they were playing at third base was not as good as Manny Machado. Just, just period. No contact. So. Great. So even though he's not hitting as well as he as he started the season, you know, even though he's had kind of a slumpy month or so, I think that I still have absolutely no complaints about it. Right. There's nothing to not like. I mean, yeah, okay. I wish he would walk more, but I mean, he's got 11 home runs. He's got he hit all the doubles, 42 doubles, still leads the majors. I'm fairly sure, and. He's really the best fielder by UZR. He's the best fielder in baseball. He's the best in the American League, pretty much without a doubt. Depends on how much you want to rate Simmons uh, in, in Atlanta. So, I mean, that's a pretty awesome guy to have on your team. Especially because since probably, what, we probably haven't had that slick of a fielder on the Orioles since uh, Bordick was hanging around. I don't yeah. know that. Anybody else in the infield? Maybe maybe Robbie Alomar. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah. I mean, I don't think Brian Roberts at his best was ever like gold glove level. No, Brian Roberts at his best was good on the good side of average, yeah. but he was never special. He was never. Yeah, he was never like win a million gold gloves in a row. Nope. That's that's Manny Machado for you. We're we are mighty excited about Manny Machado. So this weekend's upcoming series is going to be against the Rockies. The Orioles have been supposed to be beating up on sub-500 teams. Although Arizona was a little bit above 500 now, thanks to that series. They're a little bit more above 500. I don't want to get started on that again. But uh, the Orioles had 17 games where Arizona was the only three games they would play against above 500 teams. And they're 7-7 seven and seven in those 17 games, or in the 14 of the 17 they've played so far. So unless they sweep the Rockies, that's going to be disappointing stretch. And it, it might even be disappointing even if they sweep the Rockies. Because it could have been so much more than it was. It really could have. It's been very disappointing. But, you know, all we can do is worry about what's coming up. And I think that 
You know, if they have a good series against the Rockies, which they are fully capable of, regardless of how we're all feeling about the team right now. Yeah. If then, then you know, after that they play the Rays, and that is, that's where it's going to count. Yep. That's that's when they're going to have to do. It. I mean, that's a team they literally they have to beat them to make it in the wild card. And yep. you know, that's when that's when they're going to make their move, or that's when they're going to kind of fall back into. Like, it's not like we're thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to collapse into sub-500 again. I mean, I guess that's theoretically possible, but not even as much as I'm uh, uh, kind of the pessimist of, you know, of the kind of the, the site. Sometimes, like, I don't even think it's going to be like, oh my gosh, they're going to lose 10 in a row. But they might, for instance, they're 4 and 6 in their last 10. They could continue that, and that would be a bummer. But... um you know, even then, I feel like they won't continue that. I feel like you know, even if they end up, like if they go 500 for the rest of the season, they would end the season 86 and 76. That's a pretty good year when you're used to in the not too distant past. They don't even win 70. Yeah, when you cross your fingers that they don't lose 100. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's a pretty big, pretty big difference there. Well, I maybe it's because. It seems to me in my, you know, in my life as a baseball fan, off days kind of wash away the stink a little bit. Right. But it kind of seems like, you know, starting tomorrow, I feel like they are, they have, you know, they're, they're very flawed, but they are also capable of being very good. And, you know, we've seen it and I know that they can do it again. And it's just a matter of, of getting themselves together. And, you know, what the West Coast is behind them and all, and they have, you know, what, two and a half-ish weeks left in August and one more month, and then we'll see where we are. But they have so many opportunities. Nearly the entire September is AL East teams. Yeah. And that could be brutal, or it could be just what they need, you know? The thing that was a surprise discovery for, for me last year um, is that every team has flaws. And I never that Orioles were never in a position where I really needed to consider their strengths and weaknesses versus the other playoff team strengths and weaknesses because the Orioles were just bad but even every team has flaws like you know you can be a good team and even the good teams have flaws like you know the Yankees won the division last year but they were plenty flawed and that's Mm -hmm. why they ultimately got swept by the Tigers in the ALCS (coughs) because the flaws finally kind of caught up to them and you know, the Tigers got swept by the Giants because their flaws caught up to them in a short series there. So, you know, even uh, all these good teams probably have flaws. I don't know about like, Atlanta. Like, every other team in their division just died, so I don't even know what to say about those guys, but I'm sure they're flawed too. Like, wait till they run into a real team in the playoffs instead of just playing every, you know, all their games against the Marlins, Phillies, Mets, Nationals, all of whom have sub-500 records. Like, what a joke is that? They're 14 and a half games ahead in their division, but no other team is above 500. Yeah, all oh, the Nationals, they're supposed to be so good. I have no pity whatsoever. <laughs> the only thing I think of when I think about the Nationals is, like, they must be, like, total jackasses that they didn't start Strasburg in the playoffs. I know! Like, oh, we have years for him to start playoff games. Well, guess what? Next year, you never know what's going to happen. Also, that's not the way baseball works. There are plenty of teams that are good teams that don't make the playoffs. Even with the second like, wild card, there's plenty of teams that are good oh. that don't make the playoffs. So what do you do in Nationals? I don't know, but uh, good luck with all that. Oh, anyway, it just is. I mean, on one hand, I don't feel like pay for them because they're the Nationals. Right. But on the I don't know. If that was my team and they had done that and now they were playing like this this year, oh. I would be talking about it constantly. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it it would be something to be talking about constantly. Un- unless they would get into like the depressed Orioles fan level of where you don't even want to really think about the team. Like we would watch every game, but we didn't really want to, and we didn't like ourselves for doing it. And we didn't really, really want to talk about them much more than watching all the games. Like, you know, maybe that's what it's like for the Nationals. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's just the way it goes. I do not feel bad for them, though, because it's hard to feel bad for the team with Bryce Harper on there. No, and, and Strasburg. And, and Strasburg and, and all the rest of that. So, you know, plus, of course... Uh, being the 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 Baltimore loyalist that I am, I don't have a lot of sympathy for DC in general. So, you know. But before I open up that can of worms, we're actually about at the time where it's time to wrap things up. So, uh, make sure to check us out on CamtoChat.com if you don't regularly. We really have the best Orioles coverage you will find. If you ask me, I am a little bit biased, but uh, nobody does what we do in in total. And that's the honest truth. So you can follow us on Twitter, and you can see whenever new articles are posted uh, at Cam to Chat. And Stacy will occasionally post her own thoughts when the Bobblehead Factory lets her post. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am still at Eatmore S K E S S K A Y, like the hot dogs. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/CamToChat. We will occasionally remember to link our articles on there, and uh, maybe you can post slightly more intelligent comments on there than we tend to get. Oh, that was a little mean, but honestly, what is up no, with Facebook you just, people? You just you just alienated all of our Facebook. I know. Friends. If you're if you're a Facebook person who posts, uh, I wasn't talking about you, unless I was, but I probably wasn't. It's cool. But yeah, Facebook.com/slash/CamtoChat. Give us a like. It will um, make us feel more important. And you know what? Also, if you like our things that we link on there, that means all of your friends will maybe read Camden Chat, and that you know what? We would like that, and we think we do a good job, and we deserve that. So, if you could. If you like us, give us a, give us a like. That was a great grammatical sentence on my part. Modern <laughs> modern world is a little weird. If you if you enjoy our content, give us a like on Facebook, and we will make it worth your while. That is that is your money back guarantee for whatever that's worth. Considering this is all free, but you know, hey. But that's all we've got for tonight. So, Stacy, do we have any final thoughts? Do you have a final thing on the Orioles right at this time? I have a good feeling about this weekend. Got a good feeling. And I, yeah, I don't know why. Maybe but it's because have... you're going to get a Manny Machado gnome at Bowie on oh, Sunday. Oh, yeah. That, that could be it. So don't go there and get a, uh, get a gnome before Stacy, or she might have to elbow you and take you out. I don't know that I have a final thought on the Orioles right now. I feel like I've, I've expended all my ammunition getting this far in the podcast. Uh, there's probably something. Oh, you know what? Final thought. How about Chris Davis? We haven't even, I don't think, said his name. No. 44 home runs. If he gets on a hot streak, you're going to be still talking about he could be on pace to pass Roger Maris. That's pretty awesome to watch. And uh, I, I'm i I'm mostly rooting for, I don't know, if he ended up at like 56 or something, that'd be pretty awesome. I don't know what he's going to end up with, but upper 50s would make me pretty happy. 62 would make me really, really happy. But We'll see what happens with that, and maybe we'll have some more home runs to talk about the next time we are on and talking to you. So uh, that is all we have for tonight. So for Stacy Folkemer, I am Mark Brown, and we are your Camden Chat bosses. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.